you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. If you don't have your copy of God's Word with you, we'll have the words on the screen. But we're in Luke chapter 18 today as we continue in our sermon series that we've entitled Parables, How Jesus Told Stories to Shape Our Minds. And we've learned this summer in this sermon series that parables are short stories that answer the big questions of life. And in these parables we've been looking at, Jesus teaches his view of God and of the world around us and of the kingdom of God. And we've looked at topics that Jesus has discussed, such as how can I know God? How can I find God even when he seems to be hidden? How can I move closer to God? You can look at our podcast or our website and hear those sermons. But the issue Jesus addresses in this parable today is this question, how can I be made right with God? How can I be made right with God? As soon as we ask that question, we have to see that Jesus believes that we can can be not right with God, right? Things can go wrong with God. Maybe you feel that in your heart today. Maybe you're curious as to whether you are right with God. And Jesus shows us very clearly in this parable how we are not made right with God and how we are made right with God. So let's take a look at this short story Jesus told in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. I want to read it, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll dig in and look at it together. Hear now God's word from Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're gathered here before your word. Certainly you have preserved this story, lo, these many millennia, so that we could hear it, so that we could be shaped by it, so that we would know how we could be made right with you and how we are not made right with you. So I pray now that you would make that very clear to us. And that you'd be willing to do so even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The question Jesus is dealing with in this parable is, how can I be right with God? You see there in verse 14 where he says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. So when he's talking about being justified, he's saying one of these two men went home right with God 
and the other did not go home right with God. So that's what he's setting up in this parable. And notice in verse 9, Jesus is telling this story to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That means they were trusting in their good works to be made right with God. So Jesus is telling this parable to those who feel like they've earned God's favor through their good works. I wonder, what is it that you think makes you right with God? Jesus is dealing with that question today. And if you think it's your good works that you can trust in yourself and what you can do to make yourself right with God, notice Jesus says that often accompanied with that is treating others with contempt. Do you see that in verse 9? They thought they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. That often goes along with thinking that we have done enough to earn God's favor. We begin to think, well, look, I have this list of things that God likes, and I'm doing the list of things, so I'm right with God. Why aren't you doing the list of things? And of course, the problem with that is everybody has their own list of things. There's no consensus on what the list is. And once you start trying to do that, it's never enough. We're exhausted. How do you know when it's enough? And many of us come from church backgrounds where we've gotten on that treadmill of performance and been exhausted. And we've been affected by that. We've been a part of churches that maybe look down on other people that aren't keeping the same list of rules. as we're. If you've been affected by that, if that's been part of your experience, I want you to see here... That this contempt for others, this looking down on others, is not the attitude that Jesus wants for his church. It's not the attitude that he wants for those who are members of his family. These folks who are trusting in themselves and they're keeping the list to be righteous and looking down on others, he's saying that's not the way. That is not what his followers look like. So if that's your background... I hope that you're open to what Jesus says. Let's see what he does say we're to do. Look at verse 10. He talks about these two men going up to the temple to pray. Now at this time, the only daily services where prayer was taking place were these daily uh, atonement offerings that would take place in the morning and in the afternoon. And the service would begin outside the sanctuary at this great high altar with a lamb that was sacrificed for the sins of Israel. And the blood of the lamb would be sprinkled on the altar. They would have music, uh, much like we've had today, right? Except they had trumpets and cymbals. They would read a psalm like we did for our call to worship. We had Psalm 33. So they gathered for a worship service uh, as we would look at it. And then, after the sacrifice was made, people offered offered their prayers to God. And Jesus says these two men went up. And the issue he's dealing with is who, how am I made right with God? And so when we look at these two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector, you need to understand that when Jesus asked the question, which one of these men is right with God, the original audience was thinking, it's the Pharisee. Right? We often look down on Pharisees because of how Jesus talks about them if we've been influenced by God's word. But you need to know, if we're going to hear this the way the original audience heard it, 
Well, then you need to understand that everybody thought the Pharisee was the one who was right with God. Now, why would they think that? Well, because Pharisees were religious leaders. They fully kept the Old Testament law, according to their definition of keeping the Old Testament law. Jesus often debated with them if they really did. But in their mind, they kept all of the Old Testament law. They were the most holy of anyone in Israel. And they told everybody else how to keep the law. In verse 12, when he says, I fast two times a week, you need to know that the Old Testament law required Jewish people to fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And this guy's saying, I fast two days a week. And everybody's like, whoa, that's a lot. I tithe everything, this band says. And so the original audience is thinking, man, the Pharisees are the one that's right with God. Who's the other guy? A tax collector? <gasps> Everybody would gasp. Tax collector was a leech on society. Hated by the people. They, not just because they collected taxes. We often don't like tax collectors because they take a large percentage of our income. But even more than the way we view tax collectors, you need to understand that these tax collectors were Jewish people who were looked at as traitors because they were collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. They had sold out to Rome. Imagine people who are citizens of the U.S., but they're taking up money and sending it to China or to Russia or someplace else, right? So this person was viewed as a traitor. He had bid. There was a lottery system, but normally the bids, which we might call a bribe, whoever paid the most money was the one that was awarded the tax. So the way they made money was collecting money for Rome and then collecting over and above that to line their own pockets. So they abused their own people. They were looked at as traitors of their own people, raising money for these pagan Roman things that they would use the money for and abusing their own people in order to make themselves rich, folks really look down would God what, what's this guy even doing going to the temple surely God would hear the prayer of the Pharisee would God even hear this man's prayer that's what the original audience would be thinking so let's look at what Jesus says let's look at the Pharisee he takes the Pharisee first there in verse 11 so let's look at the Pharisee verse first and let's look at his actions what he does, and then his prayer, what he prays. We'll look at those two things for both of these men. First, his actions. Verse 11 tells us he stood by himself. You see, the Pharisee did not want to be tainted by the unwashed masses who he considers to be unclean. If he touched their garment, that he would be defiled. So he stood by himself, verse 11 tells us. And then look at the, the prayer that he prays. Now before I read this prayer, I'm going to read it for us, okay? But before I read it, I don't know how much you know about prayer. But a, a, a good outline for a good biblical prayer, we sometimes learn that little acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, right? Adoration, you know, praise God. When we see how great God is, it, it, it reminds us how we fall short of his glory. So the C is confession, that we would confess our sins and how we fall short. And then thanksgiving, that we would thank God for the gifts that he gives us. And then the S would be supplication, that we ask God for things. That's generally a good, not all 
always in that order, but praising God, confessing sin, thanking God for his gifts, asking God for things, the Lord's Prayer follows that order. So that's a pretty good order for a, a good biblical prayer. Look at this prayer this man prays. Verse 11, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Period. The end. Maybe he said more. That's what Jesus included in the parable, right? Now notice, <laughs> there is no praise of God. There's no confession of sin of how he falls short. In fact, just the opposite. He's talking about how he measures up and how he's better than everybody else. Thanksgiving, he does say, I thank you, but it's not, I thank you, God, for the gifts you have given to me. I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm so great. I thank you that I have achieved so much. He's not thanking God for his gifts. He's really just using thanksgiving as a reason to parade the things that he has done well before God or announce it in front of everyone praying at the temple. Certainly no supplication. He doesn't ask God for anything as if he is dependent on God and needs God for something. He seems to be doing just fine on his own in his own mind. This man is trusting in himself. That's what Jesus was telling this parable for, for those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He's trusting in his doing good things to be right with God. And Jesus says that is not the way we are made right with God. Now let's be careful here. It's easy to fall into the same trap of the Pharisee and say, well, God, I thank you I'm not like the Pharisee, right? I thank you. Do we ever trust in the thing, the good thing? Maybe we have a different list than what the Pharisee has. Sometimes when I talk to folks, they say, well, I just hope the, the good outweighs the bad. That I do more good stuff than I do bad stuff. Jesus is rejecting that as, a pro, as an approach to God. And when we do that, most of the time when we're weighing the good and the bad, we can usually make the math come out right, can't we? If we only choose to give weight to the, the good things, if we get to choose what makes a person good or not good, if we choose what counts on the scale, we're all tempted to pick and choose what makes us, what makes a person more of good things that we're naturally good at, things that we can meet. And then we say, hey, listen, God and I are good because I do these things. Maybe, again, you came from a church that had that list, and as long as you did the list, you were okay, and if you didn't do the list, you were sort of shunned. I want you to see here and notice that Jesus is not naive when it comes to religious people. I know some of you listening to me right now, you're having trouble even thinking about being made right with God because you have come from a background like this. I want you to hear, even if you've been hurt by church people, Jesus understands that he's not naive about church people. 
And that Jesus knows just because you know how to do church well, that does not mean that you are right with God. It's a warning to those of us who know how to do church well. (laughs) And we think we do, don't we? That's us. Jesus is talking to us. And Jesus is telling us that the standard is not, does the good outweigh the bad, or do we do it better than other people? That the standard is the holiness of a God who is pure and is perfect. One that never falls short. So we have to be careful not to fall into the same kind of thinking as the Pharisee and just have a different list. We sometimes think, well, I'm glad I'm not the Pharisee. I don't have to keep all these laws. Christians are called to holiness. We don't disregard the law of God because it's the safe path. It's the way God designed life to go best. But it's not our good works or our doing what God says that makes us right with God. We do good things out of the gratitude we have to God that he saved us. We don't do good things in order to be saved. One commentator said it like this, Our salvation produces our obedience. Our obedience does not produce our salvation. My VBS friends, if you were with us this week, remember we looked at this in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to walk away from my notes and hope that I can remember. You correct me if I'm wrong, right? We looked at it this week. We had it on a poster right back there on the wall, remember? We said that Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 was the best way for us to remember how this works. And it says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, right? So very clearly he's saying, look, it's God's grace that saves us. That yes, we exercise faith, but even that's a gift from him. It's not the good works that we do because then we could brag about something and look down on other people. And then remember Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. He made us specially. Created for good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Right? That we are made and saved by God and he has good work for us to do. But that comes after he saved us because he saved us by his grace through our faith not based on what we do. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is a good place for us to go to remember that. VBS folks, I hope you will remember that this week. Let's look at the tax collector here in verse 13. Let's look at his actions and his prayer as well. First, what are his actions? We're told in verse 13 that the tax collector stood at a distance, that he was standing far off. He sensed that he did not measure up to the holiness of God, would not even come near the front. The text tells us he would not look up. That was the accepted posture for prayer. You were standing, but your head was bowed. And we're told he beat his breast. We don't do that a whole lot. But in this culture, that was a show of extreme emotion, usually grief. Typically, when you see this used, it's at a funeral. People are grieving someone who has died. So he's showing grief here. Extreme emotion. And look at what he says there in verse 13. Much shorter prayer, right? God, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he says. If you're saved by your many words, the other guy wins, right? It's like seven words, and then it's six in Greek. It's even shorter. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Even as he asks for mercy, he's asking for something from God. Even as he asks for mercy, he recognizes he's a sinner. He's confessing that. He recognizes he doesn't deserve the mercy of God. He has nothing to plead. He can only beg for God's mercy. He is a sinner in need of a Savior, and he recognizes that. His only hope is in the mercy of God. It's interesting, this word translated, have mercy, is a different word. If you have your Bible open, you can see down in verse 38, there's a blind beggar who cries out to Jesus and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And that's what we would typically think of when we use the word mercy, like mercy, ministry, healing somebody who's blind. This is a different word that he uses when he says, have mercy on me. It's a word that's probably better translated, make atonement for me. Which that makes sense because this service he just went to began with a lamb being sacrificed to make atonement for the sin of the people. So it makes sense that he would pray, make atonement for me. My sin has created a debt that I cannot afford to pay like we sang this morning. And I need another to pay my debt for me. I need someone else to step in to make atonement. Notice this man offers no excuses. Well, if you only knew what I had been through. No excuses. He doesn't say, well, my intentions were good when I bought the tax practice from the Romans. No excuses. No, I'm sorry if you took it that way. Maybe someone in your family apologizes that way. I'm sorry if you, maybe you apologize that way. I want you to know that's not an apology, right? That's blaming the other person. I'm sorry if you took it that way. What you really say is, I didn't do anything wrong. There's something wrong with you. There's none of that from this man, right? No excuses. I'm wrong, and I'm at your mercy. How do we get right with God? It begins with no more excuses. It begins with being honest with God in confession and trusting God's mercy to provide what we need. Not trusting in ourselves that we can be good enough. And that brings us to the conclusion there in verse 14. You see what Jesus said there? He's just been talking about the tax collector. He says, I'll tell you, this man went down to his house justified. This man went down to his house right with God rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee. The Old Testament, the, the original audience would be shocked by this, right? It's shocking that Jesus said the tax collectors justified in the Pharisees. It would be shocking if he said both went home justified. Because they would be surprised that the tax collector would be right with God. They assumed the Pharisee, but if he just said the tax collector was made right with God, that would be shocking. But to say this man was made right with God and this man was not. Oh, the folks would be so surprised to hear God say that. But Jesus does this to make his point clear. We are not made right with God this way by what we do, by our good actions, no matter how good they are. We are not made right with God in that way. 
But we are made right with God when we confess our sin, acknowledge that we don't deserve to be right with God, that we have fallen short, and we look to God to atone for our sins and to provide a Savior. If we think we've made ourselves acceptable to God, then we're lost, no matter how good we may be or what good things we may do. We're made right with God by confessing our sin, trusting in Him and His mercy to provide a Savior. What do you trust in to be made right with God? A right relationship with God is a gift from God that comes through atonement and cannot be achieved by our efforts. Only those who sense their unworthiness before God can approach God and receive His grace. Have you been made right with God? It comes from confessing you fall short, asking Him to provide atonement for your sin so that you can be made right with Him. Very practically, you would pray, I'm a sinner who deserves judgment. My only hope is that God will grant me mercy, that he will provide a way for me to be made right with him. I do have good news for you this morning. God loves to grant mercy to those who will admit their need. God is in a habit of showing mercy. He's kind of known for doing that. And I have good news for you this morning that God has provided a way. He's provided atonement in His Son. Because Jesus lived the life that we should have lived in perfect obedience to His Father. And Jesus died the death that we should have died for punishment for our sin. Making atonement for us. And now Jesus tells us how we can be made right with God. The resurrected Christ who has conquered death. Listen, others will tell you that you have to do things to be made right with God. Jesus says in this parable that it is so not about what you do for God. And it's all about what God has done for you. Confess that you need it. Accept it. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for making it so clear. I pray that you would give us hearts that confess our need for you. That, that, that we would be quick to admit when we do not walk in your ways, when we fail to do the things you call us to do, and we do things you tell us not to do. I just pray our hearts would be quick to admit that. And that we would not look to ourselves to make it right or to atone for our sins, but that we would look to you and to your provision in the person and work of your Son. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.